the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. I'm going to talk to us today about a principle that is so vital in learning the language of heaven. And when I first give this principle to you, you might say, well, what does that have to do, Pastor, with with the words of our mouth? But I'm going to help you to see how this principle really ties in to everything you say. Your words are wrapped up in the very thing that I want to give you as the primary lesson for this weekend. The first thing on your notes I would encourage you to write down is if you and I are going to speak the language of heaven, we have to check the condition of our heart. There's a vital connection in your life between your heart and your mouth. Now, when I refer to your heart, I'm not talking today about that physical organ that sits in the middle of your chest. I'm talking about your soul. I'm talking about the inner part of your being, your mind, your will, your emotions, the essence of who you are. God is very interested in what is going on inside of your heart. Time and time again, God draws our attention to issues of the heart. An illustration of this is found in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. In this book, there's an amazing thing going on as God is now transitioning Israel from its first king, a man by the name of Saul, who had started out very positively with God, but had taken a wrong turn in his journey and things had happened in his relationship with God. And God finally said, Saul, I'm done with you. I can't use you here anymore. I'm going to replace you with a second king. And so now Samuel has been brought into the picture to anoint the second king of Israel. And God gave Samuel a specific set of instructions. He said, Samuel, I want you to go to the house of a man by the name of Jesse. Ask him to bring all of his sons in. And out of the house of Jesse and out of his sons, I will choose my next king. So Jesse brings all of his sons together. Samuel goes there for this amazing, wonderful meeting where he's going to anoint the next king of Israel. And of course, Jesse only invited seven of his eight sons to the party. Think about that. One guy was left out. Do you remember who that was? David was left out. He was left on the hillside taking care of sheep. And that tells you a lot about Jesse's perspective of David. But here are the seven sons that were there. And so here is Samuel the prophet showing up in this environment. He's looking for the next king. And his eyes immediately go to a young man by the name of Eliab. He was the oldest of Jesse's sons. He looked like a king. Seemed to have everything necessary that would would represent the kind of guy that could lead Israel as a second king anointed by God. And notice what happens here in the story in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse number 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. He says, surely this has got to be the guy. This is certainly the man who can lead us forward. These were the thoughts of Samuel. He was thinking out of his rational mind, his logical mind, as he looks at this young man. But God stops him as he's observing Eliab. And as as Samuel is about to make this decision, God intervenes in the situation, verse number 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. 
The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This is so important. Samuel is just about to anoint Eliab with oil. He's about to lay his hands on him and say, you're the next king. And God says, stop, oh, time out. No, no. He's not the guy I chose. He's not the one because man looks at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. I see something in his heart that has disqualified him from really being king. Think about that for a moment. Samuel could only see outwardly, but God had spiritual x-ray vision. He could see inside Eliab's heart, and he realized there was something in his heart that was not right. There was something in his heart that was not good. There was something in his heart that really would make him the wrong king for Israel. There was something he was hiding down in his heart that disqualified him. Because God doesn't look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. You go to the next chapter, and the very thing that God said about Eliab is seen in the words of his mouth and his actions. Because chapter 17 of 1 Samuel is a story of David and Goliath. It's a story that where Israel's army is being withstood by Goliath. He's intimidating them for 40 days, and none of Israel's army is willing to fight against Goliath. And David shows up on the scene delivering some food to his brothers, checking on them. And there in that moment, David sees what's going on and says, I'm going to step in. I'm going to fight Goliath. I'm going to step up and do this thing. God will help me. And I want you to notice what Eliab said to David in this moment. When Eliab, now Eliab was there because he was one of the fighting soldiers of Israel. And so he's there on the scene, David's brother. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are, how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Here's Eliab saying to David, you've got a wicked heart. In reality, it was Eliab that had the wicked heart. Psychologically, we call this projection, okay? What was going on in Eliab, he was projecting onto David. But God saw what was going on in this young man's life. And he realized he's got the right looks outwardly, but he doesn't have the right stuff inwardly. Dear ones, let me tell you something. What is most important in your life is what is going on inwardly in your life. The condition of your heart. What's happening in your heart. Now, when it comes to our heart, we have to understand that there's some prayers that we need to pray that will help us to have our heart where it needs to be. And the psalmist David gives us several prayers, one that we'll look at right now. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, here's one of the prayers that David prayed related to his own heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David is saying, God, I realize that my heart might be out of shape. My heart might have some issues that I I need to be aware of. Would you search my heart? Would you make me aware of things inside of me that I need to be aware of? Because I want you to control my heart. In Scripture, there's a very clear connection between our words and our heart. Remember going back to Eliab? God said he's not the right God. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And the next chapter later, we see his heart coming through his words. That the words of Eliab is the expression of his heart. It was what God saw in him him all along. And our words really do reflect what's going on inside of our hearts. How do you get to know somebody? You get to know somebody by talking with them, by listening to them, by letting their words sink into you. You learn their heart. Conversation and listening is how you get to know someone and what's going on inside of them. Jesus taught us this. In Matthew chapter 12, 
In just a moment, I'll read verses 34 through 37, but I want to set this up for you. Jesus was talking to the religious leaders of his day. They were called the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were, were very rule-oriented people. They understood all the religious rules, and they tried to follow them, but the Pharisees did not have a heart relationship with God. They only served God outwardly. Okay? And Jesus speaks to these Pharisees in Matthew 12, beginning in verse 34, these words, You brood of snakes. I mean, you know, that's an interesting way to start a conversation, right? You brood of snakes, how could evil men like you, what's the next word? Speak. How could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Another translation says, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth will speak. And then he goes on to to continue with this in verse 35, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. That word idle in the original language means barren or useless, fruitless. It has nothing to it. There's no substance to it. That the Bible says that you'll give account on judgment day for every idle, barren, fruitless, useless word that you speak. The word you say will either acquit you or condemn you. How do our words either acquit us or condemn us? Because our words point to what's going on in our heart. Okay. So I'm going to give you 10 things, and I hope that you'll kind of be reflective today and think about it in your own life, and let's just let make this a checkup time. Number one, hurt in your heart. Everybody gets hurt by people. And we all experience hurt. You can't live in this world without some level of hurt in relationships. Sometimes that hurt is very deep. But God never designed you to be a carrier of hurt. Because when you carry hurt in your heart, we talk about having a broken heart, having a hurting heart, a pain, pain in our heart. When we carry that with us, it affects the way we speak and it affects the way we live. It affects the way we interact with other people. And oftentimes what happens with folks is they get hurt by something and they never heal from it. They continue to carry that hurt around with them and that hurt in their heart becomes their identity. That's who they think they are. They think they're that person, that hurt person. And so their identity is all about their hurt. And if you talk with them long enough, they'll tell you about their hurt. And their hurt keeps coming up over and over again. They're hurt on the inside. They've never restored, been restored by Christ. And I want to remind you this afternoon that if there's hurt in your heart, Jesus is the one who is the healer of the brokenhearted. The second thing that you need to be aware of are offenses in your heart. You can be hurt and not necessarily be offended but if you're offended, most likely you've been hurt. When somebody hurts you, you get an offense inside of you that says, I want to make them pay for what they did to me. It's called payback. It's called revenge. It's called a grudge. And so you nurse that grudge and it begins to affect the words of your mouth. It affects how you think about another person because they hurt you. You want to get back at them in some way. And your grudge, your offense inside of you will cause you to make bad decisions in your life. Because you're offended at someone, you will totally mess up your life on the basis of an offense towards someone else. Third one, resentment and bitterness. These kind of proceed. Again, you can be hurt without necessarily being offended. But if you're offended, you've been hurt. And you can be offended without necessarily becoming resentful and bitter. But if you're resentful and bitter, it's because you've been offended. You all with me on this? Okay. They work together. Now, resentment and bitterness has now gone to another level. When you become resentful, you're not just 
having a grudge towards someone, but now it's solidified inside of you. It's formed a wall in you. It's formed a hardness, a callousness inside of your soul. Now your heart is hard, not just toward that person, but you begin to harden your heart toward anybody you perceive to be like that person. And so now resentment has hardened you on the inside. You become bitter, and when you become bitter, you become a sour person. And no one wants to be around sour people. Are you ready for the next one? Okay. Jealousy. Let me give you the definition of jealousy as I've written it here in my notes. Jealousy is envying someone's success or advantages, which causes you to live in comparison with someone else. It's envying someone else's successes or what you perceive to be their advantages, which causes you, which actually is a symptom of living in comparison, comparing yourself with somebody else, comparing your life with somebody else's life. Let's go to another. Lust. Lust getting into your heart. Let me give you the definition of lust as well. Uncontrolled and inappropriate desires for something. As soon as I say lust, most people think of sex, okay? And there is association of sensual aspects of lust associated with sex. I understand that. I get that. But lust can be far more than sex. Anything that is an uncontrolled or uncontrollable desire that's inappropriate is a lust, okay? So lust is not just in the sensual realm. It is a part of that, but it's not just in the sensual realm. It's any kind, anything, an appetite in you that is uncontrolled and demanding to be satiated or satisfied right there in that moment. It's driving you to... And lust will cause you to make bad decisions, right? Okay? It robs you of control okay, of your life. So when it gets in your heart, it has that impact upon you. That was number five. Here's number six. Number six is suspicions. This is what I would call evil imaginations about people that you have in your mind. It gets in your heart, okay? You begin to suspect things that are not even true, not even based in facts about people. Evil imaginations. Everybody has done this. You get an opinion of someone in your heart, your mind, that is not even based in fact. It affects what you say. It affects how you live. Next one, number seven, is distrust. It's in your heart. You don't trust anymore. And to trust, distrust is refusal to believe the best about God and to believe the best about others. Anytime you stop believing the best about God, you stop trusting Him. Anytime you stop believing the best about other people, you stop trusting them. And when distrust gets into your life, it forms all kind of barriers. Number eight, disappointments. A disappointment is an unfilled expectation. You expected something to happen, and it didn't happen, and so you get, you get frustrated in your heart, okay? And then if disappointments accumulate inside of you, you can probably handle a few here and there. But if you begin to feel like you've had lots of disappointments, all these things get in your heart. And this is what a disappointment will do to you. Disappointment that you hold in your heart robs you of hope. And one of the most important things you need in your life is hope. You need to have hope for your future. And if you have disappointment, it feels like, I never get anything I want. I never get where I want to get in life. I don't have, I've always been disappointed. And there are a lot of people walking around with a boatload of disappointment in their soul. Okay? And it affects their words. They're always hopeless in the way they speak. It affects the decisions that they make with their life. Disappointments. Let's go to the next one. The next one, this is number nine. We know worry and fear gets in your heart. I'm not going to talk much about that one. We all understand how worry and fear gets into our heart. affects our life. affects our words. But I do want to talk very briefly about the last one here. Number 10, that's hatred, prejudice, and contempt. When hatred gets in your heart, prejudice gets in your heart, or contempt gets in your heart, it's a very, very dangerous thing. Hatred is obviously one of the opposites of love, that you stop the flow of love. Prejudice is prejudging someone before you really know them. 
prejudging a group of people. Contempt is really disdain that you have for someone. You dismiss them out of your disdain for them. You just don't, don't mess with them. I just dismiss them out of my life. And listen, folks, all three of those things, hatred, prejudice, and contempt, should not be a part of the life of a believer. Are you hearing me? I want to say it again. I got a little bit of an amen right there. I'm not not fishing for an amen. I'm fishing for an oh me. Okay. Oh, you're right. Hatred, prejudice, and contempt should not be a part of the life of a believer. Okay. There should be no hatred in us because God called us to love. Right? God is love. Okay. There should be no prejudice in us. Because prejudice is prejudging, is establishing in your mind something towards someone else that is not, doesn't take into account God's love for them and even the accuracy of who they are as a person or as a group of people. And so prejudice, you don't want people prejudging you, do you? Okay. So why would you ever prejudge somebody else? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so prejudice is putting you in a position of playing like God, okay? Because God is the only supreme judge, right? So prejudice is a, is a horrible thing in your heart and life. And contempt, when you end up just dismissing people out of your life, it's, it, it's the opposite, again, of the love of God. And God calls us to walk and live in love. We should be different from the world, amen? amen. We're Christians, folks, all right? We're Christian believers. We're follow, called to be followers of Christ, okay? And as followers of Christ, we don't live in hatred. We live in love, okay? We don't live in prejudice. We live in, we live in mercy and grace and kindness, amen? We don't live in contempt. We live in the fact that we believe that God has a purpose for every human being and that we need to enlarge our world to embrace people, to lead them to relationship with Christ. That's how we're to live, okay? These are so valuable. Now, we need to pray some prayers because if you're like me, I, I discovered a few things I need to work on in my heart. How about you? Anybody find some things in your heart today? Four of you? That's awesome, okay? <laughs> this whole sermon was worth it, I guess, okay? So what do we do? We all have stuff like this that come up in our heart. Let's go back to some prayers of David here. We're just about done. Psalm 19, verse 14. So may the words, here's a prayer he prayed. So may the words of my mouth, my meditation thoughts, and every movement of my heart be always pure and pleasing, acceptable before your eyes, my only Redeemer, my protector God. The old translation says, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Psalm 51 verse 10, the psalmist David prays this prayer, create a new clean heart within me, fill me with pure thoughts and holy desires ready to please you. God, would you Create a clean heart in me, a new clean heart in me. And I'll tell you, if that prayer is in the Bible, it's a prayer that God intended to answer if you'll pray it sincerely. I want to conclude with one last story. When I mention the name Isaiah, the Bible character Isaiah, what comes to your mind? Isaiah was a prophet. One of the major books of the Bible, the book of Isaiah, the Old Testament book of Isaiah, 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah, 66 books in the Bible. Very interesting. Isaiah is known as the Messianic prophet. He's the one that told us very much, a lot about the coming Redeemer, the Savior. Isaiah 53 is a great example. The fact not only that Jesus was to come, he was to die, he was going to rise from the, from the grave. Many Messianic pr- prophecies in the book of Isaiah. We think of Isaiah as an incredible man of God, but Isaiah was not always an incredible man of God. He started very much like you and I start. 
Let me take you to his story, to his testimony in Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in in verse number 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings that covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Time out right there. Hit the pause button. Let's stop for a moment. What's going on here? Isaiah said, I remember the year. It was in the year that King Uzziah died. I know the day when it happened. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I had a vision. I saw him. I saw his, his train filling the temple. I saw him on his throne. I saw God. I, saw, I had this vision of God. And I saw the angels flying around. I was able, able, able to see something about their characteristics. And I heard them singing the song, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. I felt the temple shake with the presence of God. I saw the smoke of his glory all around me. Now let me ask you, if you had an experience like that, what would you want to do? I think it's a time for a praise party, don't you? Okay. I think it's time to worship. I think it's like, hey, come on, guys. This is incredible. But I want you to notice what Isaiah did. I want you to notice the very next words of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 5. Here he is in the midst of all this glory. And what does he say? Come on, church. What does he say? Woe to me, I cried. I am. Isaiah, this is an amazing moment. Why are you saying something like this? Woe to me, I'm ruined. Why? And then he tells us why. For I am a man of unclean lips. Stop there for a moment. If he had unclean lips, what else did he have? If he had unclean lips, he also had an unclean heart. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah said, I'm in trouble. Here's God. I'm seeing God. I'm in trouble because for the first time, I really see me. I see who I am. I'm a man of unclean lips, and, which means stuff's in my heart that shouldn't be there, and I live among people like this, and I don't know what I'm going to do because God is holy, and I'm not. What am I going to do? And that's where, that's where we all are, okay? Because we're unclean at times in our life. We have these unclean areas, and we're in the presence of God, and what do we do? And I want you to notice any time, listen, any time you're honest with God, God will show up and help you. Anytime you're honest with God. Now, if you're fooling around with God, trying to play games with God, God God's not going to pay attention to you. But if you're honest with God, God will show up and help you. So here's Isaiah. He's been honest with God. Notice what happens. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken, from tongs, from, taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Let's don't miss the wrap-up of this story and the conclusion of today's message. Isaiah said, In the midst of me feeling like I am ruined, I'm a mess. I've got unclean lips, and I've got an unclean heart. What am I going to do? God's holy, I'm not. Isaiah said, God reached down his mercy. He sent one of those angels who flew over to the altar where there's a fire on the altar. And the angel got some holy tongs and grabbed one of the coals of the altar and flew back over to where I was. And he took that, that coal from the altar and he touched my lips. 
And when he touched my lips, my lips were cleansed and purified. And God said, I've atoned for your sin. I've cleansed you. And then Isaiah wasn't dismissed. Then a voice said, whom shall I send? Who will go for me? And finally, Isaiah, the man who just a few moments earlier who had said, I'm ruined, now says, here am I, send me. Listen, there's certain things you will not be able to do until God deals with your heart and your mouth. Okay? There's certain place, there's certain things God will not open up to you until God deals with your heart and deals with your mouth. God will keep you right where you are until you're willing to say, you know what, there's some stuff in your heart and some stuff in your mouth that needs to change. But when you allow me to take my coal and touch your heart and touch your mouth, when that happens, then I'll say, whom shall I send? Who will go? And you can stand and say, here am I. Send me. Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart, something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. The first way to start in that journey with God is to open your heart to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of your life, to turn over all your life to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now, and it's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Say these words, Jesus, I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says, when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there is salvation that is brought to our lives. He changes us from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you. You need to take the next step. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word. And make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it. Spend some time each day in prayer. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.